Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Ghibli Attack, the podcast that every now and then writes books about things that aren't Japanese animation. I'm Michael Leader. And I'm Jake Cunningham. And come with us into our new career. <laughs> oh, Jake, you got the pun. You got the wordplay out of the way early. <laughs> teasing what this episode's all about. So this is something that we've been working on for over a year now. It's finally out. It's our new new book, Film Career, which is the um the Ghibli Attack guide to the vibrant world of Korean cinema. And I suppose we should tee up what this conversation is, but maybe as a by way of an introduction about what the project is, we should say that we were given the opportunity to go deep into the world of Korean cinema by our publishers off the back of the Ghibli Attack and Anime Movie Guide books. And we thought that the format that we'd set up with the Anime Movie Guide was actually a pretty good way of trying to get a handle on these huge, complex, often under um, underappreciated areas of cinema, at least in mainstream Western Anglophonic film circles. So we went the same process as last time, 30 films, 30 chapters... I'm on history, you're on review, one film per filmmaker. It's the same deal as the last book, but with a whole new landscape. And it is out now and available worldwide. Um, But to celebrate the launch of it, we were kindly invited to have a talk at the Korean Cultural Centre here in London, um, which was a huge resource for the making of this book uh, especially their library of blu-rays and amazing books about the filmmakers within our pages of film career um and so we just thought as we're going to have a launch event there we're going to have an on-stage conversation about the book the process of making the book the decisions that we made uh going into choosing the filmmakers that we did the films that we did um we thought, well, if we're having that conversation, we might as well record it. And then we can put that out uh, and do an episode of the podcast that is a real deep dive, perhaps more than we might normally be able to, into the process of putting a book together like this. Absolutely. We should say thank you to Unji and Marta at the Korean Cultural Centre for helping us put this event together. And then um, 
uh, on the night as well. We had a great turnout with a few friends there, but mostly people who'd come from the KCC side of the mailing list. And um, it was great to meet people who were interested in Korean cinema and had no idea of what the work we'd done before. Uh, so it was a you know quite a treat. But then the the conversation, as you say, Jake, was um, pretty much a podcast in front of a room of people, which we don't really do very often because <laughs> we do our live shows that are at least vaguely scripted and uh, tied to a PowerPoint. But this felt like almost like a library cafe conversation just happening to be in front of a few dozen people. Yeah. Um, so we won't take up any of, more of your time in this segment of the show. We will pass over to ourselves in the Korean Cultural Centre and hope you enjoy this conversation all about our new book, Film Korea. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming along. It's really lovely to see such a nice turnout tonight. My name's Michael Leader. I'm so uh, proud tonight to be joined by the co-author of Film Korea, The Essential Guide to Korean Cinema, Jake Cunningham. Hi everyone, I'm Jake Cunningham and um, thank you so much for coming. I'm, I'm really proud and honoured to welcome to the stage the co-author of <laughs> Film Korea, Michael Leader. I think that went down quite well, yeah. a daft intro. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much for coming along everyone. So we'll be talking a little bit about the book that we've written, the process behind it, there are findings along the way, as well as who we are, we should really introduce ourselves as well. Uh, but we will have time for some questions and answers, and then we will be over there with our books. If you want to come over, have a look, ask us what films we've missed out, and all the things like that. <laughs> we've already had two of those. We haven't missed out to be a couple of nice recommendations so far. But really, Jake, we should say who we are, really, because mm. this is our first... We've done quite a lot of events together, and we've been working together... Um, for over five years on this project, podcasts, books, events, but this is actually relatively new territory for us tonight because this is our first event related to Korean cinema. So who are we? Where did we come from? Yeah, so uh, five years ago, Michael and I were working together. We actually worked on the same desk. We worked opposite each other. We were working on different projects, both related to Channel 4, but in our own time, we both wrote about film and we created podcasts and work with people talking about film through broadcasting and we had never really worked together as much as we talked about film over our desks we had never really had the chance to have our own thing and Michael some of you may know is uh, a great expert on the films of Studio Ghibli incredibly different to what we're talking about this evening um, the Japanese animation studio and five years ago I was not an expert on Studio Ghibli I did not know anything about them, hadn't seen any of their films. And so Michael and I, when we're um, dreaming up ways that we can work together, he, he looks across the desk at me one day and his, his eyes widen and his, his cheeks turn red. And he, he says those words that all, all men in their late 20s want to hear. Do you want to start a podcast? <laughs> and we did. And that podcast was called Ghibli Attack, and that was a journey through all of the films of Studio Ghibli. And that journey went beyond Ghibli. We started looking at other Japanese animation filmmakers, and from there it went global. And we've looked at the Irish film studio Cartoon Saloon, the American studio Leica. And at this point, we've started writing about and talking about anything and everything in the world of film. And we followed up that Ghibli Attack project with the first of our books. 
And that was Ghibli Attack, the unofficial guide to the films of Studio Ghibli. And that was, you know, how everyone, uh, when the pandemic was on, when you had lockdown, everyone thought this is finally time for us to write that novel that we always wanted to write. Well, we actually did write a book in, in lockdown. That was the Ghibli Attack book. And then the following year, that book did quite well. We were asked to then write another one, looking at Japanese animation in general. And then off the back of that, the suggestion came up that maybe we want to spread our wings and leave behind animation for a little bit to then go into live action cinema, particularly Korean cinema. And I suppose from the outside, that may seem like a strange move, perhaps. We were so hard, you know, deep down the rabbit hole of Japanese animation, why would you then go to Korean cinema? But I suppose part of what you were saying, Jake, about our history, our story, is that... Um, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We were film fans first and nerds second. And we worked for organizations, institutions that had a much broader um, interest in cinema. When I worked for Film 4, um, the TV channel, they may have a season of Studio Ghibli films over the school holidays, but then another week they may have late-night screenings of Hong Sang-soo, or they may have Park Chan-wook seasons or Bong Joon-ho seasons. And it was just something I took from working on that channel. It's something I still very much respect about all of their activity, is that they do provide these access points and these accessible introductions to world cinema. And that's something that has informed us every step of the way in terms of the work we do. We may have quite a firm foot in quite nerdy or geeky or specialist territories, but we're always looking for ways to introduce a broader general audience to areas of cinema that may be um, maybe sidelined, maybe pigeonholed, maybe have some prejudices or um, stereotypes associated with them. We want to present that whole wide world. Yeah, I think ultimately we're interested in telling the stories of these storytellers. And that's the journey that the Ghibli Attack book was all about. It was about the journey of the filmmakers behind Studio Ghibli. The second book, The Anime Movie Guide, that was about the story of Japanese feature-length animation. And then here we're telling a different story, and that story is about kind of the cinematic journey of Korea. Mm. And, I mean, it was amazing to be able to 
start a project like this and go down so many deep rabbit holes. Um, but when we set about doing this, as we had done in our previous book, we had to give ourselves rules. Mm. You dive into a project like this, if you want to cover everything, you're going to end up giving every film one sentence. And we want to dive into these films and really give them the treatment they deserve. And that means having to, to use the word you said, sideline a lot of filmmakers and a lot of films to mm. tell the story that we want to tell. So let's talk about those rules. How do they come about? Right. For the Anime Movie Guide, our previous book, we decided 30 chapters felt like a nice amount. It's not as huge and comprehensive and overwhelming as 500 or 1,000. 1,000 films to see before you're dying, all those concepts. That feels like too many, and you can you know, have everything in there. But then top 10s, top 20s, maybe feel a little bit too small. So 30 feels like that right balance between broad but also intentional. We know exactly what we have in there. And one thing we did with the Anime Movie Guide, looking at Japanese animation, and very much similarly applicable to Korean cinema, certain filmmakers hog all the limelight um, in terms of distribution, in terms of um, critical appreciation, particularly in sort of anglophonic uh, media. So we decided to do something that we've ever so slightly regretted since, but I think has given us a point of distinction, which is we have one film per filmmaker. So we had to make some tough decisions we may have 30 chapters, but you could very easily do a Korean cinema book where and actually some magazines, when they do their top 30 Korean films, they may have five films by there from the same filmmaker or actually 15 films from the same three filmmakers. <laughs> we decided to make things difficult for us, but actually thought that that would therefore make the forces into making the book more diverse than it could yeah. be. And no matter how much I pitched the fact that we were very close to having a top 30 that were all Hong sang <laughs> We, we had to make a decision somewhere. Absolutely. But then we mitigate that a little bit by having within each chapter, the format of each chapter is I write a historical, contextual, biographical essay on the filmmaker, maybe leading up to the release of the particular film we're focusing on. But it can be with some of those filmmakers with maybe a larger body of work or more storied careers. Uh, we will have several thousand words sometimes about that filmmaker and then Jake comes in with a review of the particular film at hand and that might be if it's a bigger filmmaker a an essay that uses that film as a portal to look at their whole career if you wanted to have at length your Hong Sang Soo um, we, we, we choose right now wrong then as, the, as a Hong Sang Soo film which is very much a turning point in his career a point of him becoming more prolific than ever and also developing a lot of his personal style that we noticed in his films and you were able to use that film as a way of exploring that. Yeah, it's, um, it's a really interesting way, at least for us, to write because we, when we sat about writing these books and because we write them together, people will ask us, how do you actually sit down and write something like this when it's written by two people and you're having to come up with a story together and an opinion together and actually having that dividing line between how we approach it means that Actually, you can write, well, two books in lockdown, and then a third book, me in a basement in London, you in an attic in Burgess Hill. And actually, really rarely, right now, is probably the most in-depth conversation we've actually had about, <laughs> the, uh, about the, the making of the entire thing. We, uh, we do, the, the process of writing these things has, has evolved, but I think is such an, an interesting part of it. It is, and for me that process, 
was actually mostly here. The uh, Korean Cultural Centre has an amazing library, both DVDs and books. And when you're approaching Korean cinema, as I said, there may be many articles in all of the magazines that you can think of focusing on the same handful of films or filmmakers. There'll be a lot of chat about Parasite and Bong Joon-ho, for example. But if you wanted to go a little bit deeper, it's quite hard to find those texts unless you have um, access to academic libraries. But one thing that I've discovered quite quickly is there is, within publishing, within Korea, there is such a, uh, an interest in telling the stories of those filmmakers. So you'll find on the shelves there a whole monograph on the works of individual filmmakers, Park Chan-wook, Lee Chang-gong, and it'll have biographical notes, interviews, and everything. And the history of Korean cinema is, is, is on these shelves if you want to delve deeper, because we were always very aware that we are the concierge or the receptionist here to kind of go on a visual metaphor. We're welcoming somebody in to the multi-story hotel of, of cinema and they can go as high as they want afterwards, but we want to sort of take them by the hand and welcome them in. Well, that's, yeah, I think it's key to say that these, these 30 films that we've picked here, these are not the 30 best, necessarily. They're 30 films that we very much admire, yeah. we really, really like, but part of the point of the project is to go to your idea of this hotel these are perhaps your, your first 30 floors. Mm -hmm. And we hope that you come in here and you enjoy these 30 floors and you ascend to even greater heights and discover treasures that we have not considered here, but we can start that journey. And sometimes that is a, just does cause some headaches and some tricky decisions. But I suppose before we get too deep into the weeds, Jake, what was your relationship with Korean cinema before... The book project came around because we are also we have a micro generation between us i think that's been something very interesting about everything we've done so far even though i'm 30 and jake is barely 30 um, but there is a, a, an important five or six or seven years in the middle there where i think we we are we two separate crestings of a wave of interest in korean cinema has happened yeah. so what was where did it all start for you well i think for me, there's the things that you watch maybe as a, as a young person, as a teenager, when you're first getting into film and you're kind of exploring what has made its way into the HMV of your town and what you can pick up or what's playing on film for, and that would be where the breakouts would appear and that would be where you'd hear about old boy and people would talk about, oh, you've got to see this thing, it's the nastiest thing you've ever had seen, oh, it's amazing. Or when you're hearing about someone remaking something oh, yeah. and you think, oh, that... Uh, that sounds interesting. I should probably go and check out the original and better version. Um, and uh, so there's that phase as a teenager when you're exploring the wider world. And then as I journeyed on to a career within the film industry and start going to things like film festivals and events similar to that, there are films that suddenly become part of the conversation or start to blow up and you start tracking them. And so, like for instance, Burning. Mm -hmm. um, Lee Chang Dong, as much as he's admired and as a big figure, was a blind spot and was not someone that I'd really explored too much. But then Burning comes out, premieres at Cannes, everyone's talking about this being one of the best films ever made. Actually, I read a tweet yesterday of someone saying that it genuinely is one of the top ten best films ever made. And, and they made a case for it, mm -hmm. a believable case, fair enough. Um, and so there's that. I suppose that would have been my second wave into the wave, would have been kind of 
joining the film industry at that point in my life. And then the following year, you were there in the queue outside the camp press screening of Parasites. Mm, you were witness to the birth of the bong hive. I was there the first time anyone saw that. Anyone yeah. said the word bong hive, probably. Well, I was there with the two other people that actually created that hashtag. I was there at the birthing of the hashtag. You um, can put this in the book, actually. So this is all I, no one stuff. needs to hear me talk about a hashtag. I've already done it too but much tonight. It is interesting you, talk, you mentioned that because I'm very much a child. I would have been a teenager in 1999 and 2000. So I am of the Asia Tartan Extreme generation. And if anybody wasn't here at that time, there was this that same moment within popular culture here where a distributor saw a lot of similar films coming out of um, East Asia and they created a moment called this Asia Extreme moment in the sort of years after the release of Ring in 1998 and films released on that label would include Old Boy, Tale of Two Sisters um, and that created this moment where anything from Asia, particularly live-action films, seemed like it was some sort of genre, cheap thrills, or slick, but quite sick, sick thrills. And it's quite fascinating going back and reading reviews now, as we do in the creation of this book. There's that run of films from, let's say, Whispering Corridors, Shuri, Save the Green Planets, A Tale of Two Sisters, Old Boy, which did all have this release over here, all sort of pigeonholed and shoehorned into this moment of, if you were into your genre cult cinema, you'd be picking up these films. And Old Boy in particular, going back and reading Empire, or even Peter Bradshaw in The Guardian, and what is it that he said they say? I was just about to get about to find the quote. Yeah. Uh, you want to know? Sorry? Oh, I, I read that he said he says it's excessive. Mm. Well, well, there's like a bit where he really goes off, off on one, isn't it? Yes. Um, so from 2004, Empire's review of Old oh Boy, you want to know how far someone would go to wreak revenge? Well, we advise you to brave South Korean writer-director Park Chan-wook's helter-skelter descent into the dingiest pit of human behaviour, even if at times it is tough-going and ludicrously unfeasible. It opens up a whole new sicko frontier of exotic horror and more or less reduced my intestines to guacamole. Five times I watched it. So the latter there from Peter Bradshaw and The Guardian. Um, and yeah, that's really the tone that we took for the whole book, well, wasn't it? And it's funny that that has quite a crossover with our previous book because with, with Japanese animation a little earlier, in sort of the early mid-90s, they had a moment with a distributor called Manga Entertainment in the UK where they surveyed quite a vibrant and diverse industry and just picked the really violent stuff to pitch to teenagers and young adults in the UK with 15 and 18 ratings and similarly created a moment that was um, wholly curated uh, but had long-standing effects on the um, presumptions or uh, assumptions around that cinema in the UK. So I was very much in that pocket as a teenager but then was lucky with the work that I've done in, in film to have, and moving down to London where we have the London Korean Film Festival, the London East Asia Film Festival, plus screenings and seasons coming in, out, in and out of view at the BFI, the Barbican, and then also the chance to go to the London Film Festival, which, which tend to have films from Korean filmmakers that wouldn't get mainstream release. And that informs, I think, the back half of our selections where there may be films here that did get release, like um, The Wailing or Train to Busan, 
but there, there's this absolutely beautiful moment through the last 10, 15 years of female Korean filmmakers work, working in quite finely detailed, delicate family dramas, films like House of Hummingbird, Moving On, The World of Us, which really you would only get to see at film festivals, but is part of that full narrative of what the film industry in Korea is capable of. Yeah, well, the, the distribution of these films is fascinating in terms of how you can access them now, because there are ones that have got that global release, but there are so many here where we kind of had to break a rule that we've had on our previous books where we wanted everything to be accessible that you could, through legal means, <laughs> pick up a Blu-ray or a DVD of the, every film that was in the, the anime movie guide. And here, if we wanted to tell the story that we wanted to tell, we kind of had to put that by the wayside and say... It would be impossible. You, there are means of finding these films, <laughs> and we found them, and you can find them. But the Korean Film Archive on yeah. YouTube is an incredible resource. So ironically... The older films we have in here, films that have never been released in any form in the UK or maybe have had screenings actually on this stage here at the Korean Film Nights season throughout the year, they're the ones that are more available because the, you know, the Korean Film Archive has a YouTube channel that they keep feeding with films every week, it seems, and quite new restorations in some cases. So when we were going further back in time, they were the films that were more accessible and available yeah. than maybe a film from only three or four years ago. Well, you have this, this funny midsection where there was a kind of a wave of interest and then distribution of these films. There's, it crests and then rights get lost down the back of a sofa of someone's lawyer and all of a sudden no one knows who actually owns this film anymore. Um, yeah. And so you're having to go out and find a version of it. But, you know... So I suppose it breaks down into the, the first ten films or so are all the... Korean Film Archive section, then there's the CEX second-hand section <laughs> if you want to go and find Shiri or, <laughs> or Save the Green Planet, as I did in CEX in Brighton. And then, yes, there's this recent sort of mix of some films more available than ever with Parasite or The Wailing and Trains to Be on Netflix and places like that, and some films that are falling through the cracks. Yeah. Well, and incredibly prolific filmmakers. Like I mentioned, Hong Sang-soo. Mm. I mean, it's always amazing when you actually get a Hong Sang-soo film, despite the recognition and the acclaim and the festival plays, that actually gets a UK distributor. So how many films has he made? It's, it's in the dozens, of course. I think it's in the 20s. Well, so it's in the, I think maybe more than that, but um, maybe only four have had UK release. Uh, London Korean Film Festival, 15th of November, War Cup at the close-up centre. <laughs> exactly. Got my yeah. ticket. There's, there's one at London East Asian Film Festival as well. Hong as well. So there's two of his new films. Thank you, James. Oh, Prioritise those. Thank you, James. And that's also something really, you know, that interjection reminds me of something that has changed in the time since Tartan Asia Extreme is that the internet and bloggers, and there are now so many Asian cinema experts either based in the UK or working abroad. So we can find information on these films in a way that we probably couldn't do back then when we were waiting for Tony Raines to come out of the closet and you know, come out and do his piece that you do for Sight and Sound every now and then. Or similarly in Empire Magazine, they'll say that somebody's you know, reaching the depths of depravity. So we find ourselves, and we're always very um, diligent in our sort of thank yous and acknowledgements and bibliographies to point to all these other people who are much further down the rabbit hole than we are. So that's Anton Vital who, or Darcy Paquette who are working with the uh, Korean Film Festival or Hayley Scanlon always finding films to, to discover and uh, admire or James over there. You know, 
at the forefront of trying to convince magazines that it's important to write about East Asian cinema, not just you know, clutching onto trends, but all the time. It's, I hope it is something that is changing. And actually, while we were writing the book this time last year, Sight and Sound put out a Korean Cinema Now special issue, and we had to make it seem that we didn't crib everything from that. I think in the end, they did have a top... It's funny, they, they went for a list of films mostly suggested by the Korean filmmakers or experts, um, and it was, like, hidden gems. Yeah, but they did repeat some of the same directors. So they, they did cheat a bit. I think in the end we only had crossover on maybe four or five films yeah, anyway, so that's fine. not a problem. It's not a competition. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think we, let's take a look at the, the content here, because we, we talked about this one director rule, and that was initially a very kind of a, a great way of dividing up the spreadsheet. Yes. And making plans for what you're going to be doing in your evenings and weekends for the next few months. Um, and catching up on everything that you possibly can um, before you have to start putting some words on the page. But I want to talk about those decisions because you mentioned some filmmakers' names that people will recognise, particularly from the last 20 years. And once when we've been talking to people about this book and the, how we've gone about writing it, those are the, that's the question that people leap at. Yeah. So how do you make those calls when you're thinking of someone as acclaimed as Park Jamwook or Bong Joon-ho or someone whose library is as huge as Hong Sang-soo's. What do you pick? How well, do you pick? Well, I think our editor has left so we can say that he said we have to do Parasite. <laughs> you need something <laughs> that to cover. That was the and I'm surprised they were allowed, they allowed us to be so niche with some of the other picks. But I suppose that's fair. If we, would you have gone for Parasite if we could have picked any Bong film? Oh. I would have gone for Mem- Memories of Murder. That's my favourite of his. Yeah, I, uh, I think I'm, well, I was there when the hashtag was formed. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, 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 I've gone mother. Yeah. Amazing, right? Yeah. I, I think Parasite and Burning were the easy, they're tough but easy decisions to make because you, they are the forefront in terms of um, not popular but critical successes with some real significant value behind them, even though those filmmakers have been working for 20 years previous, 30 years previous. Yes, and we should say we're not slumming it by writing about those films. Those are like legitimate masterpieces that we love a lot, and they're very nice films to write about. <laughs> and I suppose then, because, gosh, not to get too far into the whole spreadsheet of it all, but you can imagine a spreadsheet where it's title, length, genre, name of filmmaker, year... And then before you know it, one thing that was tricky when you kind of plug in a lot of films here is that you end up with loads from the last five years, loads from 97 to 2001, and then there's nothing for maybe 15 years. So we, that's why, even though I think we would have gone for Old Boy anyway, for Park Chan-wook, it feels like The Handmaiden is taking that its crown a little bit, particularly with a younger audience. Yeah. Um, it certainly opened up Korean cinema to a, a, a world cinema we, we do a lot of work with the Prince Charles cinema just across town and they say that that's a film that always brings that young people, well, not come too young can they, but certainly that sort of student young adult audience come out yeah. and grows for that. Well with, with the, the letterboxed crowd I yeah. would say so this is people that are logging their films online that as film watching as a social network and when we look at the most reviewed and the most watched films on this website, Handmaiden is the one that's up there. So, but then that leaves you with the issue, which is um, we had five films from 2016 and 2017. So you've got to spread it out. Yeah. 
So let's take the opportunity to move away from all the films that people might have heard of. I'm actually oh, yeah. considering our location and where we are and who the audience is. I'm sure everyone has heard of all of the films that are in this book. I'll take that as a given. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll trust you. Um, <laughs> but let's take the opportunity to make some recommendations maybe that are from more of discoveries or that mm. on this time round and spending this much time with these films that all of a sudden we felt like you were so proud to have this one in there. You really want this one to... You could talk about this one forever. So I... Hmm. You got one. Give me one. I'm not, I just one, am I? Do you have one in mind? Well, I try not narrow it down to one. Uh, can I say Ted? Yeah, can I say Take Care of My Cat? Of course you can. I absolutely love that film. It's a turn of the millennium film. It's just a beautiful film about female friendship. That time after graduating high school, going to university, friendships fraying as you're, you mature. It's also a really good film about the rise of mobile phones and instant messaging technology. It's, it's really wonderful, and that's one of those ones where um, we have this, we this, this wave in sort of English language film of, of complicated female friendship movies, and this is one where 20 years ago, Korean cinema was doing that in a way better. I think that's, that's one for fans of films like Francis Hart, Francis Hart. Lady Bird films that aren't directed by Greta Gerwig. Um, I'd like to know if Greta's seen it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a fantastic pick with a lovely score, a score so good that it has the cherished spot of being one of my downloaded albums on Spotify. Um, so I listen to that one a lot on the tube. Um, I'll give a shout out to Christmas in August. Oh, uh, wonderful film. A film that made me weep. Um, it's a wonderful mixture of uh, kind of Edward Yang and David Lean. It's it's beautiful, but so rich in its it's a good old fashioned sort of tragic romance movie. It is, yeah. It made stars of its stars. And Hergin um, Howard, the director, was actually going to be, I think, going to be in town. But certainly, his new film is opening the London Korean Film Festival. So. We've already badgered Tim here if we can maybe badger him and do a we are not worthy way to Yeah, but I think if, if you're looking for a, like a perfect like Sunday afternoon weepy, yeah. I go with Christmas in August, it'll, it'll change you. And I think that just speaks to a run of films in the book as a way of taking my one film and turning it into many, where that's the same year as Whispering Corridors, which was released over here, high school ghost movie. Um, and fed that feeling that horror was a thing that was booming in places like Korea, but the big movies were just as much coming-of-age films or romance films or My Sassy Girl, which is a really great romantic comedy with a really brilliant female character in, who's called Sassy in the title, but is much more complicated than that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, very much a predecessor to 500 Days of Summer on that one. I think so, yeah. yeah. And what, as we read out these films, I realise how vain it is really to have your own book in front of you and read them out. <laughs> <laughs> all these amazing films. But it's amazing. When you look at the contents page and you, you flash back to images that you've seen in the books, you realise like, all of these connections that feel like DNA that connects everything. And you'll see it there when you, when you I hope you seek out these films, that there is kind of references that dip in and out and themes and ideas that punctuate this whole story and that you have a film like The Housemaid mm -hmm. and the just even the way that steps are used in The Housemaid and that's a film that is 
60 years old mm -hmm. and then you go to Parasite and you see the influence of a film from that far away this and the influence just on that, how a staircase is used or how the, the plotting of the handmaiden fits together and the influence of that. There's something that you're, you're, you're mentioning there that brings to mind in the whole research process what, what I love about these filmmakers that we tackle is they are, so, they are cinephiles, they do love cinema and almost so many of them had that moment where they found that one cinema or that vein of filmmaking that they were obsessed with and informed them. So some may have had a um, two-month holiday in Paris, wouldn't that be amazing? Um, <laughs> and where they just went to the cinema every single day and hoovered up everything. Uh, but what's fascinating is, even though we would say that in terms of great film cultures, particularly great underappreciated film cultures, this is... Career is very much at the forefront. The filmmakers seem so hesitant to talk about their own film heritage, and part of that is because career itself has a, you know, was very much flooded with Hollywood films at various points, and was that was seen as proper cinema, and homegrown stuff was seen as was 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 much cheaper or harder to find screens. They didn't necessarily have much of a repertory cinema um, tradition throughout the eighties and into the nineties, only post the nineteen nineties that they had that sense of appreciation of bringing things out of the archive, restoring them and re-appreciating them. And it's something that while we were making this book, I just remembered the Sight and Sound uh, Once in a Decade Greatest Films poll happened. And I think only maybe Parasite and The Housemaid got votes, even from people working at the Korean Film Archive. So there needs to be somebody shouting about these films, discovering them, putting them on screens and putting them on a pedestal alongside French cinema, German cinema, Japanese cinema that tends to hog the limelight, perhaps. And there's that new Netflix series, isn't it, that Bong Joon-ho's uh, fronting, which is about the way that film fans discovered films way back when, was through second-hand videos or taped off the telly late-night screenings, because that was the only way they could see those films. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, that's a nice note to... Watch yeah. films? Yeah, yeah. Watch, watch the films that we have written. <laughs> Uh, maybe go deeper than we do. Every chapter, we should say, does have further viewing, which is my way of saying, okay, maybe we, maybe this one, but also these ones as well. You know, the ones that the one more thing, kind of before you go, all these films too. Um, Andreas, we do have a microphone that can wander around if anyone has any questions for us um, to take us to task based on what we've said so far. Um, we have we have one from James. We've got James. Go on. Thank you, hello. Um, I just thought it'd be interesting to know if there are any films that you two disagreed on or have wildly different opinions on. Oh, that's a good point. So, so that actually pulls up the, the, the process, right? So because we were able to work on opposite ends of the tent link um, at different altitudes, Jacob's basement, me in my attic, we probably didn't really talk about the films in great depth. We might send a WhatsApp message now and then saying, that film's great. This moment, we'd send like a screen grab of a moment from, you know, Christmas in August that made you cry. But it's, it's the one that you didn't like as much. Or... No, I think the debates more came down to the decisions with directors with the larger filmography mm -hmm. and where we made those calls. Um, and as, as Michael mentioned, a lot of that was maybe down to publishing plans. Um, and I think we, there was certainly debate around that. And I think maybe right now, wrong then was 
Yes. One that we had to make a call on um, because we're looking at wanting to shape the story across various decades and make sure that... Oh, have we lost the mic? We have lost you. We've lost me. Oh, there you are. Turn back on. I think I'm on. Yep. Good? Yeah. Um, and so I think we might have maybe gone for Taylor. Uh, Sorry. The, the hong takes are that hot, they're trying to silence me. Um, no, and I think a lot of, a, a key factor in that decision was that um, Dennis Lim wrote a wonderful book all about Tale of Cinema, and I'm not going to try and uh, outdo him. And also, exactly. we needed something that could fit into that decade and that era. And so, there was some debate around what we could pick there. But a lot of Hong Sang Su's films very similar anyway so when you write about right now wrong then you're not writing about 15 others anyway <laughs> yeah exactly I don't remember disagreeing about much else really because also I think our approach is that we're not going to slam films if there was a film that one of us clearly disliked up front we wouldn't have probably put it in the book because people are still coming up to us at signings about how we don't like House Moving Castle the Studio Ghibli film or at least it's not as much as we are supposed to um, that's the one, one of the few negative reviews we have in our books. <laughs> Never again. Uh, any more questions out there? Thanks. Thank you, James, for that question. Do you want to just borrow mine? I can shout unless you're on Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, thank you so much. That was such a beautiful journey through your process. And you actually make it sound really easy. Like, oh, I can go away and do that. It's really beautiful. Um, obviously, this book is coming from with an English film viewer's, film lover's perspective. Mm -hmm. Just wondering like, if you um, uh, spoke, spoke with any Korean film experts or kind of maybe Korean authors with similar guides and um, if they offered any insights or even if, um, kind of, as a twin question to that, if a Korean author was authoring this book, do you think the perspective on the films would be different, etc.? Yeah, just thinking about of holding that English centric gaze. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We're, we're so aware of that, having written two books about Japanese cinema not being from Japan. And we are, you know, we are well aware of that, and that's all part of the research. That's part of what the, why the collection here is so useful, because even though they're English language texts, they're translated from Korean critics and historians writing the book on Park Chan-wook, etc. So we are doing that. And in the cracking of the list, we did talk with uh, academics based in Korea or Korean um, film experts for their insights and their suggestions. And I think there's probably only, it's probably a bit of a can of worms to open as we're closing down the Q&A, but one of, there was, there was one filmmaker that our contacts suggested maybe best not to put in just because of um, a reputation that's gone through the floor. Um, even though if you were a film fan in the UK, you would have probably watched some of his films if you'd watched any Korean cinema in the last 20 years. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned a Korean film fan in the UK, this was very much shaped by distribution, as we mentioned yeah. in the talk as well. And so we, we wanted to lean into that, into what we talked about tonight, but into the book as well, about telling the story of how these films actually travelled the world. Mm. Exactly, that's all baked into how we approach the book. We're always very clear about our, the limits of our perspective and our own, you know, conscious or unconscious biases. 
I'm, I just want to make sure I understood what you said earlier. You said that some of these films are available, and so, some of them you had to go find, and nobody will ever find. No, 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 ITVX. Or ITX player. has loads. Yeah, yeah. surprisingly. Did you speak Korean? No. So we have very much okay, reliance so on that word. Somehow or other, you guys got this in English somewhere. Yes. That yes. My, that was my question. Yes, absolutely. I think we, 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 we should really wrap up and maybe go over there, unless anyone has one last final question. Or can I chat with us over there? Yeah, you can ask us over there. Great. And thank you so much to NG and the team here for allowing us to use the space tonight. It's been and the Andreas for manning the mic. Thanks so much for thank you so much. There we are. Thank you so much to our gracious hosts. Didn't they do a good job? Yes, thank you so much to Michael and Jake for hosting us, celebrating the launch of film Korea. Although seriously, thank you to the team at the Korean Cultural Centre for welcoming us that evening uh, so warmly into their amazing place. If you have any interest at all in Korean culture, I'd recommend you look up their activity. They do art, they do music, they do all sorts of festivals all the way throughout the year, programming and events, uh, getting you deeper into the world of Korean culture. Um, in a similar way to how our book is a, a gateway into Korean cinema. And that's Film Korea, which is out wherever you get your books now, at least in the English language it's out now. We'd love to see down the line if it does get translated into other languages as our previous books have. But for now, look at, look it up wherever you buy your books. Film Korea. And if you want to keep up with us, and if Film Korea is the first time that you've heard about us... Um, make sure you follow us on social media uh, where you can find us on X or Twitter at Ghibliatech or Ghibliatech.pod on Instagram. Um, and if you are brand new to us, go go in the archive, dip back to the podcast, go all the way back to the start. If you've never heard of a studio called Studio Ghibli, we, we recommend them. And what a journey you'll go on. Absolutely. <laughs> just starting now. And if you do follow us on social media, you may see that as this episode goes out, we're gearing up to, or actually may already be in Japan. Um, we're going out there for a research trip for future adventures. And we'll be posting updates as we go from where we're going from Osaka, Kyoto, Hiroshima, Nagoya, Tokyo. We're trying to pack a lot into just over a week. Um, if you're if you happen to be a seasoned traveler out there we'd love to hear your recommendations for those various spots that we can try and cram into the already overflowing itinerary of stuff but um, if you find us on Twitter or Instagram I'm sure you'll find our daily updates and you can find us individually as well Jake's over on Twitter slash X at Jake H Cunningham and on Instagram Jake.h.cunningham. 
Yeah, and Michael's Instagram is michael.leader and Twitter is michaeljleader. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.